Hi, listeners. Welcome back to Motivate, the Motivation and Inspiration Podcast. I'm your host, Dahidi, and today's guest is Adam Pawalski talking about the quarter-life crisis. The quarter-life crisis hits us all around the same time. It hits when we start to think that our life is taking shape and that we're heading down a track that we might not be comfortable with. For most people, this is when you hit a certain age, like maybe around 25, 26, or 27, and you've accomplished certain things, but you really have this kind of view on life that everything is kind of stabilizing. For many of us, it's when we actually get out of college and we get that first job out of college and we start to get into the groove at work. Well, whenever it hits you or whenever you start feeling that way, The reality is, is that it's time for a change. It's time to start committing to your dreams. It means if you continue down the path, you're probably going to be unhappy. So you need to start taking those risks that you keep putting on the back burner. That's it for me today. Thank you all for listening. I hope this motivates you to set a date on pursuing your dreams. That's it for me. Enjoy the show. I did everything I was supposed to do. I got good grades in high school. I took AP classes. I went to a good college, I got a great job. I climbed the career ladder. On paper, I had it all. I was making $70,000 a year at the age of 28. I was working for the federal government. I had healthcare, I had benefits, I had job security. You literally can't get fired from working for the government. Trust me, there are people that should. (laughs) My parents were impressed. My friends were impressed. My boss told me I was doing a great job. I'd go to happy hour and tell everyone I was the special assistant to the director of global operations at the U.S. Peace Corps, and everyone thought that was so cool. They asked for my business card. I got to sit in on meetings at the White House. Everything was perfect about my job, except for one tiny, kind of important thing. I was miserable. How did I know I was miserable? Every single morning when my alarm would go off at 6.30 in the morning to NPR, I'd feel a shooting pain go up and down my back. I felt this pain when I was getting out of bed, when I was brushing my teeth, when I was getting dressed and putting on my shirt and tie, when I was taking the bus down to work, when I scanned my ID badge in at the office, when I rode up the elevator to my desk, when I was sitting at my desk typing memos, when my boss would invite me in for meetings and we'd talk about best practices, and when my boss would email me every single night on my Blackberry at 10 p.m. The pain was so bad, I developed shingles on my side. Shingles is a nerve disease common around people over the age of 70, not 20-somethings. This was the pain of confusion. It was the pain of climbing this career ladder to success and realizing that I was nowhere. I was somewhere I didn't want to be. I was stuck in a quarter-life crisis. And I was spending a lot of time on Facebook, overdosing on FOMO, fear of missing out, comparing myself to what my friends were doing. So there was my friend going off to business school, and I was like, maybe I should get my MBA. And there was my friend going to teach at a charter school, and I was like, maybe I should go work at a charter school. And there was my friend opening a food truck, and I was like, maybe I should open a food truck, even though I'm an awful driver and a really bad cook. (laughs) And so there was a buddy of mine, he'd already graduated from one of the top law schools in the country, got this amazing job at one of the top corporate firms, making well over six figures. And he's like, got this, he's got it all figured out. And there he is traveling with his fiance, right? Traveling with his girlfriend in Peru, getting engaged at sunset in front of Machu Picchu. And I'm like, man, this guy's got it all figured out. He's got this amazing job. He's already going to get married. He's at Machu Picchu. I hate my job. I hate my life. I can't even get a date on OkCupid. My life is ruined. (laughs) 
I'm a goner. And it was only when I met other young people going through the exact same thing I was that I was able to turn my quarter-life crisis into a breakthrough. So this talk's going to teach you a few lessons I learned on my journey that can help anyone that's stuck in a quarter-life crisis or help all of you avoid your quarter-life crisis and find meaningful work. So the first lesson I learned, find believers. Surround yourself with people that believe in the beauty of their dreams. Because I used to come home in D.C. every night to my roommate Dan, and I'd be like, Dan, I hate my job. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to move across the country. I want to live in San Francisco. I've always wanted to live there. I want to start writing. I want to start being a creative. I want to start supporting social entrepreneurs. I want to start supporting young people that, go in, or that are going after their dreams. And Dan would look at me, stare, roll his eyes, take a swig of beer, say, smiley, suck it up. Everyone hates their job. It's part of life. And I was like, man. You know, that's kind of brutal. I was 28 at the time, which is old, but it's not that old. I didn't, I didn't really want to spend the next 40 years of my life depressed. But you know what? The majority of the world thinks like Dan. 70% of Americans are disengaged at their jobs. 70%. One-fifth of those people are so disengaged, they're actively undermining their coworkers' work. They're literally getting paid to mess things up for the company that they work for. And, and this is a shame. It's a shame because millions of people wake up every day unfulfilled, depressed, not showing up fully for themselves, their families, their communities, or the world at large. So then I met believers. I went to a leadership program that brings together 20-somethings that are interested in creating social change, that are interested in social entrepreneurship, that are interested in using business for good. The program was called Starting Block. And at Starting Block, I met believers. I met people like Debbie. Debbie was starting... Goldie Blocks, a toy company that teaches young girls engineering skills. I met people like Ted. Ted started MoneyThink, which is a nonprofit that teaches financial literacy and entrepreneurship to urban youth. I met people like Tom. Tom started Rising Tide Car Wash, a small business in South Florida with his father that employs people with autism. So I met these believers, and they're like, wait a second, wait a second, Smiley. You want to leave D.C., you want to move to San Francisco, you want to start writing, you want to start supporting social entrepreneurs, you have to do that. The world needs you to do that. Because a crazy thing happens when you find believers. You find accountability. Now, normally in the real world, you tell someone you're going to quit your job, and they're like, yeah, dude, you said that like six months ago. Everyone's going to quit their job. Whatever, you're not going to do it. Right? You tell someone you're going to write a book, and they're like, everyone's writing a book. I'll believe it when I see it. You'll never do it. Not when you, not when you tell believers. Because when you tell believers, you have accountability. I told my buddy Evan that I was going to quit my job at Starting Block, and you know what he asked me? One simple question. When? When are you going to have the talk with your boss? And he texted me every single week after that program. Have you had the talk with your boss yet? Have you had the talk with your boss yet? Have you had the talk with your boss yet? Have you had the talk with your boss yet? I'd be in meetings with senior officials at the White House getting texts and calls from this guy. I was like, you got to stop calling me, man. You're going to get me arrested. But you know what? The only reason I did have that talk with my boss the only reason I did quit my job, the only reason I did move across the country to a city I wanted to live in, the only reason I did write a book, the only reason I did start supporting social entrepreneurs, and the only reason I'm standing here right now is because people like Evan held me accountable. Because when you find believers, you find accountability. Thank you. Now, people like Debbie and Ted and Tom weren't talking about making lots of money. They weren't talking about rising up the corporate ladder. They weren't talking about getting featured in TechCrunch or Fast Company. They were talking about making the world more innovative, compassionate, and sustainable. 
They were talking about using their access, their privilege, and their skills to empower people less fortunate than them. Because the success symbol for my generation, for our generation, isn't climbing the career ladder, it's doing work that matters. So we're not the me, me, me generation. 50% of millennials, that's most of you in this room, would take a pay cut to find work that matches their values. 90% of millennials want to use their skills for good. Despite unprecedented levels of unemployment and student debt, our generation wants to work with purpose. So how do you actually find meaningful work? Well, the second lesson I learned is that you have to stop comparing yourself to others and start pursuing what is meaningful to you. So I went back and I interviewed my friend, the corporate lawyer that had it all figured out, that was married, that got engaged at Machu Picchu. I was like, man, you got this great job, you're making all this money, what's the secret? You know, what's the secret? And you know what he told me? He told me that after three years of law school, hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt, and now making all this money at the, at the corporate firm, that he was miserable as a corporate lawyer. And that he was going to go back to grad school at the age of 30 to become a high school social studies teacher. Right? Which is great for him. But, but what's the lesson? What's the lesson? Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody has it figured out. The grass is always greener. Instead of comparing yourself to others, instead of comparing yourself to everyone on Facebook, start figuring out what it is you want. Don't climb the career ladder to nowhere. Build a career that matters to you. So why are you here? What do you want to do for others? How can you align your own gifts, your unique gifts, with the impact you want to have on the world in a way that supports your desired quality of life? And you know what the beautiful thing about meaning is? The beautiful thing about alignment? There's no one answer. No two people's definition are the same. I don't know what's right for you. I'm still trying to figure out what's right for myself. Now, Debbie, she started Goldie Blocks because of the discrimination that she faced as one of the only female engineering students at Stanford University. Ted started MoneyThink because when he was growing up in Chicago, he realized he had a lot of opportunities due to his privilege that his peers simply didn't have. And Tom started, started Rising Tide Car Wash because he saw how hard it was for his own brother to find a job because his own brother has autism. So they had a personal connection to their work, meaning is personal. So what makes you tick? Not your parents, not your boss, not your friends on Facebook. What makes you tick? Why are you here? How will you create your own path? And the third lesson I learned is that you have to start hustling. You have to start hustling with intention. You have to start hustling with purpose. Now, a lot of people like to call our generation lazy, the lazy generation. It's like, are you kidding me? Lazy? I've been working for 10 years since college, and I still owe Sally Mae $10,000 in student loans. So Sally Mae, if I ever see you on Tinder, I'm swiping left. <laughs> now, Debbie and Ted and Tom, they weren't working four hours a week. They were working 40, 50, 60 hours a week on something they cared about. Now, why would you want to automate something that brings you joy? Why would you want to automate something that impacts the world, that impacts others? These people weren't automating. They were hustling. They were working hard on something that matters. I was working four different jobs when I was writing a book because I had to pay rent and pay my loans. Now, a lot of people hear my story and they're like, that's it, I gotta quit my job tomorrow, I'm out, peace. That's, that's not my message, that's not what I'm saying. Now, a lot of you may have heard of Debbie and heard of Goldie Box, but what you might not know is that she had a full-time job while she was starting that company. She was working as the marketing director for a jewelry company in San Francisco. She stayed on at that job for nine months after she had the idea for Goldie Blocks. Why? 
Well, first of all, she knew she was going to start her own business, so she needed to save money. Very practical reason. But second of all, she felt like she was getting paid to go to business school. Rather than pay a lot of money to go get an MBA, she was earning a paycheck and learning invaluable skills in marketing, retail, distribution, sales, that she knew she'd be able to apply to her own business when she left and started her own company. So you don't have to quit your job tomorrow. Matter of fact, you don't even need to have a job. I'm going to tell the story of my friend Bernat. So I met this crazy guy once in San Francisco. I'm biking home, and all of a sudden, this stranger starts talking to me. He's like, hey, man, how's your day going? I was like, I don't know. Leave me alone. I don't know you. Right? He keeps biking alongside me. He's like, hey, man, I just got here from Spain. I'm looking for a job. I was like, I don't know you. Leave me alone. He keeps biking alongside me, and he's like, hey, I just moved here from Barcelona. I'm a UX UI designer, a really good designer. I, I'm trying to find a job. I've had six interviews this week. If I don't get a job, I have to go back to Spain. I need a work visa to stay here in the United States. There's not that many jobs in Spain. I really want to stay. And I was like, well, actually, you know, my best friend was just living in Barcelona. It's a beautiful city. You know, let me, let me check out your website. And he was like, well, what are you working on? And I was like, well, I'm writing this book. And he goes, well, do you have a cover designer? I was like, no, not yet. So I go home. I check out his website. I was like, wow, this guy's a pretty good designer. This guy's pretty kick-ass. He's awesome. So I was like, hey, Bernard, maybe you could design my, uh, my, design my book cover. Um, and then I post on Facebook, like, hey, just met this crazy guy, Bernard, from Barcelona. Um, does anyone need a designer? I know a lot of people in, in, in startups. Does anyone need, need a designer? Maybe Bernard can help you. About five minutes later, my friend Yi comments. He's like, actually, my friends are starting the startup in Palo Alto. I think there's like three of them. They don't really know what they're doing. They're figuring out. They could use a designer. So Bernat meets with this team, they hit it off, he gets hired as their lead designer, it's like a four-person team, he's super excited, he texts me, he's like, Smiley, thank you, you got, I got this job, and I was like, th you know, thank you, man, you made the ass, right? So it goes by, he helps me design this book cover, and then about six, seven months later, I get a text from Bernat. He's like, Smiley, I'm taking you out to dinner, anywhere you want to go. I was like, awesome, I want to get taken out to dinner, great. So, so we go out to dinner. I'm like, what's going on, man? What's up? Like, why are you taking me out to dinner? You know, like, I, I have some money. I'm a writer. I'm, I'm kind of mostly broke, but I can, we can split the check or something. And he goes, well, the company, you know, the company I started working for after, after I met you? I was like, yeah. They had just been acquired by Yahoo for $80 million. Right? And it's a small team. So Bernard had equity. It was like a four or five person team. He was one of the first people on the team. And he, he was thanking me. And I was like, you should thank yourself. You know why? Because Bernat made the ask. He talked to a random stranger on a bicycle in a city that he didn't live in, in a country that he's not even from. He made the ask. So do not let being a beginner limit your hustle. Take a risk. Sign up for the class. Volunteer. Go abroad. Work abroad. Launch the crowdfunding campaign. <laughs> Thank you. Start the blog, build that website, make the ask. People will support you when you start working with purpose. Now, this isn't about finding your one calling or your one purpose, because I don't think that that's possible. I think I've already had eight callings and I'm only 31, which is not that old, I swear. But I am saying that if you find believers now, if you stop comparing yourself to others now, and if you hustle to pursue what is meaningful to you now, you will change your life, you will change the lives of others, and you will change the world. Now, people like Debbie and Ted and Tom changed my life. They're the only reason I'm standing here right now and not sitting at home on Facebook, depressed, worrying about what all my friends are doing, worrying about my friend, the corporate lawyer, that doesn't even want to be a corporate lawyer. 
Because when you pursue meaningful work, you inspire others to as well. You ensure that the workforce of the future will be spending its days empowering girls to become engineers, teaching financial literacy and entrepreneurship to urban youth, employing people with disabilities, and ensuring that every single person in this room and those not in this room reaches their full potential. So you can, so you can call us idealistic. You can certainly call me idealistic. I mean, my name is Smiley. But we are not the me, me, me generation. We are the purpose generation. And we will be engaged with our work because we have to. The the challenges facing our generation are simply too serious to ignore. They're too serious to only worry about on the weekend or too serious to only worry about after 5 p.m. We can't be stuck in a high school crisis, a quarter-life crisis, a third-life crisis, or a midlife crisis. We can't climb the career ladder to nowhere. The stakes are too damn high. Thank you.